Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we talk about the virtue of hope. And my job is to introduce you. Hope. Family catechesis, family catechesis, hope. There you are. Now you know each other. We use the word hope a lot. We hope for this, we hope for that. So in some ways, we already have an understanding about what it is. First off, let's give it up. Um, it's where it belongs. It's one of three things which we call, anybody? Virtues and specific type of virtues. There's faith, hope, and love, charity, and they are called together the what virtues? Theological virtues. They're called the theological virtues because their origin is with God, their whole motive is to get us connected with God, and they're all about God. And God in Greek is theos, theology. So theological virtues. So it's a virtue. What's a virtue? I gave you a real simple definition a long time ago. Just two words of a virtue. It's a good habit. Good habit is a virtue. Bad habit is a vice. Thank you. All right. So it's a good habit. And a habit is just something that we don't even have to think about. It just becomes part of our of our being. And kind of I call it part of our warp and weave, just like the fabric that makes up my clothing. It's just part of it, just there. Can't avoid it. But as a theological virtue, we need help. God has to give us. We call it infuse, which means to pour into us that virtue. And so he does. Where do you suppose that happens? Where do, we, where do the theological virtues start normally kind of in, in life with us in the church? Well, where does anything in the life of the church start for us? Baptism! The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We, these theological virtues get their start. Now, hope. Okay, faith. Let's start with faith real quickly because hope springs off of that. What is faith? Faith is being able to say yes to what God teaches us. And because God teaches us, again, remember theological virtues have their origin in God, their motive is in God, and their object, what they're all about, is about God. Good. No, no I mean God. Yes. So, faith then means we look at what we believe and we say yes to it. This is true. Well, what's one of the things... We believe when we say the creed, I believe in life, in the, in the world to come. Right? I say that at the end of the creed. I believe in life in the world to come. Eternal life, union with God for all eternity. That's what we believe. Does that sound like a good thing? I should hope so. That we were made for eternal union with God. God who is goodness itself. God who is the source of all beauty and truth and goodness. Yes! To have that forever and ever and ever. You better believe it's a good thing. It's the best thing. So, 
That's what faith teaches us. But notice, life in the world to come, past, present, or future? Future, exactly, to come. Not already here, not was, will be. So hope deals with the future. All right? If somebody says after family catechesis tonight, and I'm not saying they said this, so don't hold me accountable, but if someone said to you after family catechesis, we're going to stop at Dairy Queen and get a Sunday, all right? Uh, if you like Sundays, hopefully, let's presume you like Sundays. Um, you're getting kind of excited about that, right? You get excited. Be, yeah, this expectation, something good's coming. That's what hope is about. It's something in the future that's desirable, we want. And what greater thing can we have than union with God for all eternity? But there's two things about this event, this great thing that we're looking forward to in the future. There's two things about it that make hope necessary, why we need this help. The first off is that that really good thing in the future is hard to get to. It's difficult. Because think about it. Um, do I hope that I'm going to go to bed tonight? I mean, it's a future event, right? And that's hopes about the future. But is it difficult? <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> I get done. I have nothing else going down. <clears throat> I'm out. So there's nothing difficult about me getting to sleep tonight. So I don't have to hope that I'll get to sleep. Pretty much a certainty for me. So it's got to be difficult. All right? So this union with God, this desire to live with Him, we recognize it's difficult because God tells us how to get there, right? It's what faith teaches us. We're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to love God and show that love in the way we act. And is it always easy to act like good disciples of Jesus? Is it always easy? No, it's difficult. So, okay, so we need that. So this future good, union with God for all eternity, is difficult. It's difficult to live always on that road, always marching towards heaven, as it were. But the other thing, it's got to be possible. It's got to be possible. I, I hope that the earth... Uh, that the sun, there we are, that'll be more fun. I hope that the sun tomorrow will rotate around the earth. It's future, it's tomorrow. It's difficult, I suppose, because <laughs> we'd have to kind of swap things around. Is it possible that the sun's going to suddenly decide to change how it's been operating for the last how many billion years and make the earth the center of the universe? No! So it's not possible. So we don't hope for things that can't happen. <laughs> I hope. You know, some people hope for the test. I'll pass the test. I did absolutely no studying for. Right? Yeah. Right. So, we recognize it's about a future thing that we, that we really desire. It's about a future thing that's really good. I want it. But it takes a lot of work to get there. But I can get there if I put the work in. All right, that's the important things about hope. But for 
Christian hope, the virtue of hope. We're talking about eternal life. We're talking about spiritual things. That's something I can't get to by my own. If I could, then Jesus wouldn't have had to have died. I could just read a book or study some guru's teachings and I'd be able to have that eternal life. No, I need God's help. So that's why it's a theological virtue. All right, and that God gives me that help, I have that assurance. So hope is this thing that I rely on, I lean on, like a crutch. I can't walk real well, I need to use a crutch to help me support. That's what it does. It supports me on this journey to that future good thing that's difficult. So when it's difficult, hope is saying, hang in there. God wants you to have this eternal life. God wants this for us. So you're going to get the help you need. You just got to stay on course. Keep going. Keep plugging away. It's a story, I'll end with this, a story about two frogs. Two frogs. These two frogs were hopping along on a hot summer day. They found a farm. They hopped away from the pond where it was nice and cold. And they could stay cool. It was a hot summer day. And they come up on the farmhouse. And there's two big milk pails sitting there. Metal milk pails. And they're that nice cold looking milk inside there. And each frog jumps up one on one pail and one on the other. And actually the big jugs with the lids that you put on. And they both jump in. And oh boy, that milk is nice and cool. And they're floating around and enjoying it. Well then the farmer came along. Boom. Put the lids on both of those containers. Poor little frogs were trapped inside. Now frogs are, can live in water, but they prefer, they need land too. It kind of gets a little stuffy for them otherwise. So the one poor little frog, he's panicking. He's panicking. He's flailing around, and, he, and eventually he just gets all tired, and he just sinks to the bottom. The other frog has hope. The other frog says, I know this can't last forever. Got to keep on kicking. So he just keeps kicking his feet, keeps his head above the milk. Got to keep on kicking. Got to keep on kicking. He just keeps saying to himself, got to keep on kicking. The farmer comes along a little while later to pour the milk out of the pails. He opens the one up and empties it out. And in the bottom, there's a dead frog opens up the other one. Guess what he finds? Finds a live frog sitting on top of a mound of butter. <laughs> Gotta keep on kicking. That's hope. Now to talk about some vices, some actions that work against that is Father Moriarty. I also get the privilege of uh, speaking a little bit about growing in hope. First, though, let's look at those opposites. The two opposites are either giving up, as Father just spoke about. There's the idea of, I just can't do it. Or over-optimism, which is also called presumption. Let's start with presumption, though. Sometimes we don't think of presumption as much as we should. 
For example, how many of you have gone to confession ever in your life? Can you imagine if you started saying, well, I've gone to confession before, I'll just go to confession again, but beforehand I'm going to do whatever I want, and I'll ask for forgiveness later on. That's not usually a good thing. Why? Because it's saying, I really don't want to change. If hope is meaning to help us to get to God, what somebody who is presum- they're presuming God's forgiveness. I'll give you a story. There's a little line about this. Those who hope for a conversion at the 11th hour The idea is the 11th hour is right before the striking of midnight, and midnight is your death or my death. If you are thinking that you are going to convert at the 11th hour, right near the end of your life, but I'm going to have fun and do whatever I want until I'm nice and old, there's an old saying, those who want an 11th hour uh, conversion usually die at 1030. (laughs) You can't guarantee when you're going to die. Presumption is not hopefulness. Presumption is using, taking advantage. Presumption means I really don't want to change, but I will change the last minute so I'm not going to be punished too much. That's not hopefulness. Hopefulness means I have an opportunity to become like God. Now, despair is the other way around. Despair, believe it or not, I think is increasing. There's a lot of sense of despair. Let's look at the place where despair is appropriate. There's only one place. And Dante said that over the gates of hell was a phrase, abandon hope all ye who enter here. Because if we go to hell... There is no change. There is no getting out of hell. We have chosen not to serve God. Like the devil, I will not serve. And that means no change. But boys and girls, there's another saying, while there is life, there is hope. In other words, the fact that you and I are here today That's hopeful. The fact that you are listening, paying attention, that gives me hope. When people go to church, that is a way to grow in hope for me as a priest. Because I realize, ha ha, somebody wants our Lord. They want his truth. They want his love. And so, when we start giving up hope, That is actually one of the most dangerous things because then we say, I can't change. I can't be forgiven. I can't this and I can't that. And guess what? Sometimes we can't do it. But what does it say in Scripture? With men, some things might be impossible. With God, all things are are possible. When we think that something is impossible with God, it is possible possible. And so we want to have that great sense of hope 
Now, we can grow in hope. Deacon will give us concrete examples from the saints. But I want to let you know that's one of the ways to grow in hope is to look at the lives of others. But I will let him talk about that. Another way just for you is to start looking, in a sense, around. I'm not the only one going to church. I'm not the only one in the line to confession. Now, sometimes I really prefer to be alone in the line to confession because then I don't have to wait, but that's another issue. Um, That's just me. Um, The last time I went to confession, zero line, loved it. Formed right behind me, but zero line in front of me. Um, That was very nice. Now, it does give us hope when we surround ourselves with those who want God, with those who want the truth, with those who want holiness, who want to grow in love. You know, we need to be missionaries and help those who are hopeless, but don't forget to start by surrounding yourselves with people who do have hope. And parents, make sure you tell your children situations where you yourself have experienced hope. Again, this is like the saints, where when we see an example of it, because we know that if they have, again, I don't want to steal it, sorry. I won't steal your thunder, sorry about that. Uh, But it's that whole point of seeing when you see it for somebody else. Uh, The Old Testament's the same way, you see God's actions. Now, let's not forget some of the actual areas of hope. Forgiveness of sins and the help of God's grace. We should really be reflecting after we've gone to confession. Like, this is a remarkable thing. Jesus' loving, humble, obedient sacrifice of his life for ourselves. That shows how much God loves us. God is willing to have someone completely innocent, the Son of God, take flesh, experience our suffering and pain, to set an example for us, and of course, with his meritorious obedience, to offer us forgiveness. That is hopefulness. Just going to confession and receiving the grace of God's forgiveness helps us to grow in hope, because we are right there receiving that essential gift of forgiveness which allows us to go to heaven. And next, for example, uh, just the various elements of grace. And don't forget there are two kinds of grace. Just the young people here, none of the adults. What are one of the two names for grace? One begins with an A, the other begins with an S. I almost got it wrong myself. Yep, is the name one? Sanctifying grace, that is the life of God within us. So after you've gone to confession, if you've committed a deadly sin, you now have sanctifying grace. You have the life of God within you. But you can still get other graces even if you're in a state of sin or in a state of grace. What was that name? What kind of grace is that? Can anyone actually tell me this? Sorry, just kidding. I just said it. Actual grace. It's called actual grace 
This kind of grace isn't dependent upon whether or not you and I are, if we died at that moment, able to go to heaven. But this is why it's very important. When you start thinking, how has God helped me? What are the gifts that he has given me? When we are given a gift to even do a charitable act when we're in a bad mood, that is God's grace, alive and active. And we should stop and think, wow, God's grace was totally amazing there. He helped me in that situation. Uh, Someone just told me the other day that they were driving uh, in another city, and I'll just end with this, Again, because it it gives us hope. But for him, it was a huge moment because he realized God's grace. He drove past a man who was walking with a walker and having difficulty walking. But he was trying to find the highway and he was trying to go somewhere else. He really didn't, you know, he wasn't in this city for very long. And a, a little bit of an inspiration hit him. I should, I should really just stop, turn around, and ask him if he needs a ride. And he kept debating it, but he knew that if he got onto the highway, then he would never be back this place this way again. As he got closer and closer, he thought, well, the guy will probably just say no. He'll probably just say, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Or he might laugh at me. He had all these thoughts go through his mind. He has literally now traveled a couple miles. He's almost at the entrance ramp. And he goes, what's the worst that could happen? He says no. Turns around, drives back that mile or two, stops the car and says, sir, do you want a ride? And the man had a look of relief on his face. He nodded. He started speaking. He had actually uh, a speech impediment, probably from a stroke earlier on. And he helped the man get the uh, walker into the back. And then the man sat. And he says, I have no idea where I should drive you, the driver said. And the man couldn't really say, but just started pointing. And after a while, he had driven into this city quite a ways. And he came to a part of the block where there were tons of police and all little cherries were going off and a crowd had gathered. And then all of a sudden he's driving like, what's going on here? Somebody pointed at him in the car and then the guy next to him and the police started noticing. He slows down, rolls the windows down and the police come to him and say, how long have you had that man? five minutes. The man had been missing uh, all of that entire day. He had left a home that was caring for him. And even though he wasn't lost, they were all very worried and searching for the man. And they were able to find him. And he was able to, to get him back. One of the motivating things was there was a rainstorm coming and the rain hit right after the man got back into the home to help care for him. So, um, you know, he said that that was a moment of grace. That driver told me that. And that 
when we reflect on how has God forgiven me and how is God giving me grace, God has done it for you already. And God wants to do it more and more. Don't ever give up, but don't ever think I've got it made in the shade and I don't have to worry. Deacon. With the saints, we can look at just about any one of them and we can see a profile in hope. Because hope, just as we, when uh, Father uh, McConville was talking about how faith is you know, reaching out, believing what God has told us, hope is related to that because it's actually believing, it's believing in God and the goodness of God is part of it. Um, and, and so hope can inform everything that we do because we're relying upon God. It's like, if you can think about it, um, how many of you have learned to swim? From your parents teach you how to swim? Did, you, did your parents make you jump off the pool and, I'll catch you? Yeah, right? And I know that's what my dad did, and he caught me. He caught me. I could trust him. I knew him, and I could trust him. And all of the saints know and trust trusted God. And so they were confident not only of that far distant, you know, heaven as the ultimate goal, but that each step along the way, the goodness of God is there, is the plan. Even if it may be uncomfortable, even in the moment I don't see where it's going, I can trust in God. We prayed, you know, with the, uh, with the, uh, um, Divine Mercy Chapel, Jesus, I trust in you because I know you. Just like if you have a really good friend and you can trust that person because you know them. All right? So uh, when we think about the, the, uh, some saints, we can pull any of them out as examples of this. Um, but before I move on to them, let's look at a couple of people who failed to give us ideas of examples of what Father Moriarty was talking about. Can you think of, in the stories that we were hearing just a couple of weeks ago, right around the Triduum, you know, the days just before Easter, can you think of two really important people in the story, one of whom who fell into the sin of despair? Judas Iscariot, Judas Iscariot fell into the sin of despair. He realized right away that what he had done was something so incredibly wrong. And he didn't think there was any way out of it. Can you think of somebody who gave in to the sin of presumption? Another big, big person in the stories that we were listening to uh, during those days. Simon Peter. What did he say? Oh, I'll never deny you. All the others may fail, but not me. No, I'm there. I would go and die with you. What did he do? Very first thing. You're one of them, are you? No, I've never heard of him. (laughs) No, really, you kind of look like I didn't. I I think I saw you. No, wasn't me. Oh, don't even know the guy. Wait, your accent. I mean, you're like from Galilee, dude. I don't even know the guy, right? Without even thinking, he fought his despair, uh, Judas's despair, Peter's uh, presumption. 
Fortunately, Peter climbed down and was reconciled to Jesus. And then he lived a life of hope. He lived a life of hope, confident in where he was headed. But all the other saints, let's think of a couple of, 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 uh, let's think of a a 20th century saint. Uh, Saint Maximilian Kolbe, whose day we celebrate in, in, uh, on the 14th of August every year. Maximilian Kolbe was a Franciscan priest, a uh, Polish priest, and uh, he had actually uh, served a large part of his ministry in my home country of Japan. But, uh, but during World War II, he was uh, in, in German prison camp. And uh, there was a married man who was going to be sent to a particular uh, part of the camp that it was certain death to go there. There was no doubt. If you, were, if you get, went into that particular uh, dungeon of the, of the camp, you, you weren't coming out. And Maximilian Kolbe volunteered to take his place. Now, why would he do that? Not because he was thinking like Judas, oh, my life is so horrible and nothing's going to happen here. You know, I might as well die and this is a way to die. No. He was confident in the goodness of God who loved him and the ultimate goal of heaven. And so he gave his life to save this married man with a family. Another saint. We have, uh, we have her right over there, St. Agnes. Young girl, not much older than a lot of you. She, you know, maybe, maybe 12, 13, 14, really young. But she was confident in her love for Jesus and Jesus' love for her. She had dedicated her virginity. Her, he was her divine spouse. And no one else would do because she had dedicated herself entirely to Jesus. And even when the alternative was death or give up on this, uh, this commitment that she had made of committing herself, her whole, her whole self, her whole virginity to Jesus, she chose what for her was by far and away the better choice, which was death because that united her with her divine bridegroom. Other saints, I'm reading a book right now, uh, the uh, Apostolic Fathers were the earliest, after the New Testament, the earliest Christian writers. And Saint Ignatius of Antioch was, uh, he had actually, as a young man, had studied under Saint John the Evangelist. And, uh, and so he was, uh, during the, the uh, Decian uh, um, persecution, was being sent back to Rome from Antioch. Antioch's in what's now Syria, kind of north of Lebanon. He was being sent back to Rome to be executed. And while he was on the way, he knew it was going to happen. He was chained to ten soldiers. But he was somehow able to write a lot of letters during that time, too. <laughs> they, you know, they, as long as he didn't run away, they let him write. So he was writing letters to the churches along the way encouraging them in hope, encouraging them to trust in their bishop and in their, and in their priests and in their deacons as they proclaim to them the truth about Jesus. And you know, he wrote about his ten guards, and he called them his ten, I've already seen ten leopards, <laughs> you know, uh, because he knew that that was how he was probably going to die in Rome, was to be eaten by wild beasts in the arena for the amusement of a crowd. And that's, in fact, how he died. 
But he went to his death, and it was a long trip. I mean, this was, you know, months of travel. Uh, He went to his death all along knowing what was going to happen because he knew with his confidence in God where it would ultimately end up. Yes, it would end up in the arena in Rome, but ultimately that would just be like the doorway into something even better, the great palace of heaven. So any saint, though, we can pull any one of them and we can see this example because it is a confidence in God, just like jumping, knowing that your dad's going to catch you. You know, because you can trust this person. And here, where the person we're trusting is God himself, goodness himself, love himself. So that's the great gift of the, of the virtue of hope. And any one of the saints, pick any one of them, and that saint can help you in growing in this virtue.